So before we start talking about past tense parts one and two, I have a trivia factoid that I've been Ooh. holding back from you literally for three and a half years. Oh my God, I'm ready. So do you remember a little episode of the original series called The Corbinite Maneuver? Yes. I know. This episode had a young Baylock in it. It did. Yeah. Past tense part two. This is the origin story of Baylock. The second Ron Howard. I don't actually know his real name. Clint Howard. Clint Howard. There you go. Not to be confused with Clint Eastwood. And so this is the second time and the I think the last time that he's in Star Trek. Wow. So I just kind of was like, that's a nice little factoid. And I'm proud of myself remembering to bring that up. Okay. Well, that's so, great. So I'm sure that you enjoyed that very much. He did not offer anyone Tranya. No, but he hasn't become Baylock yet. Right. Exactly. He doesn't become Baylock until the 23rd century. Obviously, he ages backwards. So uh, this is a hell of a two-parter. This is a heavy episodes. Yeah. Um. I uh, really like Past Tense Part 1 and 2, and you know we'll do that sort of thing when two-parters yeah. fall on the same episode where we're kind of go back and forth. Because well, in a lot of ways, this was not – like the search had two – you know, was kind of two distinct parts. This is one story broken up just, you know, because of time. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, in a lot of ways, you could watch this as, I think, one movie, and it would be the same, you know. I mean, I think that this is definitely one of the stronger two-parters that Star yeah. Trek has done so far. Uh, you know, not just Deep Space Nine. I think Star Trek in general. Um, oh yeah, and and you know, it, it, there's enough story for the two parts, which is always a problem with with especially I think the Next Generation two parters. And it's it's a little off. It's a little off character for for Deep Space Nine. You know, well, this isn't a show that um, necessarily does this kind of thing, but I think it knocks it out of the park. I mean, this was a very this is a very interesting episode because it doesn't have anything to do with the you know, meta plot of the series. You know, it has nothing to do with Cardassians. It has nothing to do with the Dominion. It has nothing to do with Deep Space Nine itself. I mean, this could really be any any group of characters, you know, could have this plot happen to them. But this gives us some very interesting contextualization to how the Federation came about and in some ways what's at stake here. Um, yeah. You know, because this is very much showing, like, there were, you know, we, we've... One of the things that the show has made, you know, Earth is a paradise at this point. Um, Earth does not have scarcity. There's nobody poor on Earth, you know. But in the outer reaches, things are getting pretty bad. You know, this is Tajiar's rape gang colonies. You know, this is the, you know, the, the colonies that are in the, you know, the demilitarized zone, you know, and all of that. Um, and so we see, you know, this is very clearly showing where Earth came from. And it, you know... One of the things, even though the Federation is allowed to be mistaken in DS9, I think, you know, we've do, we do still very much agree with, you know, I don't think anyone says that anyone in the Federation has a bad heart or is doing this in bad faith. If they're making, you know, if the, <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see on that. Uh, yeah. But I think you know that... what I mean? Like this is, Earth has become a paradise because they you know they saw how bad this was and you know you had a lot of people who genuinely wanted to improve things for everybody yeah i think so and you know there's a couple different ways you can talk about this episode because i think that that bizarrely enough you know this is one of the more i think prescient episodes of star trek ever yeah. i mean if you look i mean this is this is you know at this point this was aired in 1995 or 1994 i can't remember exactly which year it was yeah. i think it was 94 um and you know 
basically they were looking ahead uh, 30 years in the future. And now, of course, we're nine years away from from the events of this episode. Yeah, you know, this was 2024. So so obviously, you know, and, and, and just to warn people, we will probably get a little political on this episode because there's a lot to unpack, you know, just in regards yeah. to how this episode kind of extrapolates. Uh, 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 the future, you know, uh, of of how people are living. Yeah, I mean, but, when you say Prussian, I mean, I think it's interesting because the economy in 94, 95 was very different than it was in, let's say, 2010, you know? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. if this is an episode that seems like it came out of the recent financial crisis, seeing how there were employment crises and, you know, the next logical step, I mean, for this to go when the country was doing better is is very, you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that that you know it's 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 funny because you know the the sort of genesis for this two parter was the idea that you know they really wanted to sort of get at the heart of you know Iris Stephen Bear is very interested in the Federation and he's you know a lot of people criticize him for making Star Trek a little bit grimmer, a little bit darker, a little bit less perfect, which is all true, I think. Yeah, but you know there's also only so far as that can go because this is still a syndicated sci-fi television show in the 1990s. Uh, We're not talking about you know a post nine. 11 sort of yeah, thing yeah, here yeah. with like Battlestar Galactica or something. Yeah, this isn't an HBO drama, you know, this series. So. Right, right. I think that's going to be one of the open questions about the 2017 Star Trek yeah. show, for example. What is that going to be like? But, you know, so he's interested in that question. He's interested in sort of like how the Federation actually came to be and kind of extrapolating out this, this I think, kind of lost period in, in the Star Trek mythos about, you know, we know about World War Three, We know about the, the eugenics wars. And we I, know about all that stuff, but we don't really know like what the buildup to that was. And this is sort of like examining that lost period. I mean, I have to say the eugenics wars almost seem like they've, it it, ha- it isn't that they've been retconned out at this point, but just nobody talks about them. And yeah, I mean, this particular this is supposed to be after the eugenics war, correct? Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like that didn't have any particular bearing on why things got to be this. Do you know what I mean? Like, because I think in yeah. some ways the eugenics war was that worked in the original series. You know, you could have a villain like Khan. You could have you know, well, we created these super beings who you know were tyrants, and then we. Fa- because, you know, that's a very black and white conflict in a lot of ways. This makes, you know, this is a much more insidious conflict that's going on and frankly much more damning, you know, about everything in that and frankly, a lot more realistic, let's face it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know... Uh, I like this version of the backstory much more than, well, Khan and a bunch of other guys like, you know, were evil. Right. And I think that, that, that one of the things that at least some of the novels do is they sort of retcon the eugenics wars. They are wars, not war, okay. um, as as sort of a series of low-level sort of things. Yeah, lo- that, regionalized. Or, yeah, okay. that, you know, we're not talking about some sort of giant world war or anything. Um, you know, it could be that Khan was sort of like in the background. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. Uh, but but in terms of this episode, I think that that you know you look at this and there's so much to talk about because you know past tense part one sets it up as you know we're going to Earth to talk about the Dominion and that's the last thing we hear about the Dominion in this two parter. Yeah. So so already they're sort of setting it up as okay we're going to Earth we're going to Paradise we're going to check this out we're going to you know unload all of this really bad information on Starfleet Command and then we're going to go off back to Deep Space Nine. And, you know, they get thrown back into a period of, Earth, of Earth's history that, that Star Trek hasn't really looked at before. And, and you know, what, what is so alarming about it, I think, is that, 
you know, not that I could necessarily see this kind of thing happening, but but I can see a version of it happening. It's it's symbolic of some real thing. You know, in other words, we you know maybe we're not gonna round up the poor and jobless and put them in an actual walled prison district, right? But you know, we're going to cut their benefits, you know, we're going to cut, you know, in England, the way that, you know, what's happening with the NHS is going to, ha- you know, that's how we're going to, you know, fuck over the poor. So, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, I, it's this wall is, it, it, it's symbol, it's symbolic of general policies. In well, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's, it's really problematic because if you look at the last, you know, 30, 35 years of, of, you know, Western history in, in, in a sense, right, in economic policy and, and the governments and all of this stuff, you know, what, what really occurred is, you know, looking at it and saying, okay, uh, 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 the last, you know, ever since World War II, essentially, you know, where America became a world economic superpower, primarily because Europe was, was destroyed, yeah. right? And, and, you know, and you look at it and you say, okay, there was mass prosperity, there was, you know, and of course there were issues because, yeah. It was mostly about, you know, white people uh, uh, becoming middle class. And there's a lot of, of, yeah. of uh, problems baked into that. I mean, I think that, that the whole homeownership thing in America, I think that, you know, redlining, um, you look at the way that... that uh, redlining, um, I'm not familiar with that. Well, redlining is a term where banks would basically um, not allow... Uh, minorities to buy homes, they they would not qualify for for loans. Um, it was it was termed redlining because the areas were actually colored in red. Um, you know things like the fact that the GI Bill was primarily a way to you know send white people to college. Um, you know the suburbs were a mass exodus of yeah. white people from the cities. The cities were just basically decimated for for thirty or forty years until white people started moving back to the cities. And now everyone uh, wants to make cities wonderful again. And now the suburbs are starting to turn into slums in, in certain areas uh, because minorities live there. Um, you know, so there's a lot of racial stuff baked into this. There's a lot of racial stuff baked into past tense parts one and two as well. Um, yeah. But if you look at the sort of, I think it's interesting because like you said, you know, this episode comes at a point where, you know, the world economy is doing fairly well. And uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, 20, 20 years later, um, you know, you have just just people that, I mean, there was an article that just came out a few weeks ago that basically said that the 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 poor and the richest and the poorest in America are now the majority. So the, the middle class mm-hmm. is actually not uh, uh, the majority anymore. Um, and also things like you know the gig economy with with you know collapsing workers' rights yeah. and the collapsing union membership. And you know the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people that are really hurting um, for all kinds of reasons. And you look at this episode and you say you've got the, the you know it's really interesting because the structure of this episode is sort of like you've got um, the brown people uh, in the concentration camp, yeah. Bashir and and Cisco, and you have the white person Dax, yeah, you know who was found on the street and and because of her white privilege she's taken off into a land. Of luxury. Well, I, I would say something that her, you know, her exoticism, you know, the her, her markings, her spots, as she calls them in that one episode, you know, are noticeable, but they're seen as exotic. I mean, she she in a way. Well, the guy, the guy, she's passing for human number one in a lot yeah. of ways, but you know, to where her foreignness or alienness is seen as exotic and is valued and is in a way marginalized in a different way. Yes, because, yeah, oh no, absolutely, because, and I think you see that in the scene where they're talking about that, I forget the guy's name, but the the CEO of that company. When they're at the party? No, 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 before that, where he's saying, oh, what are your, you know, your tattoos are very interesting, and he says, oh, well, I had a tribal tattoo in the 90s, you know, blah, 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 you know, and it's kind of a funny joke, but at the same time, it is, 
it is the sort of thing that a lot of a lot of white people do, which is they commodify the the cultures of of, of other of other cultures. And tattoos themselves also do have a lot of you know the social meaning of tattoos changed. You know, changes sometimes it's ritualized, sometimes it's you know marks people as undesirable as prisoners or whatever, and sometimes again it's a fashion statement. Again, somebody taking a tribal tattoo. You know, because they're a member of a tribe, that's a, you know, something that would be seen as, you know, savage and barbaric. But, you know, if a guy who's an investment banker gets one, that's cool. Like that, that you know, the the right. the episode is, it, it doesn't 100% address this, but it rushes, brushes up against these and invites these, you know, I would say. Yeah, I know, absolutely. I think it's not, and this is one of the more subtle things I think that yeah. Star Trek has done in a long time. I mean, this is probably the strongest social commentary that Star Trek has done uh, on this level, yeah. you know, in a long time. I don't really know if the original, I don't know if the Next Generation did this kind of thing. I mean, they no. certainly a little bit with like the outcast and stuff like that but you know for the most part the show kind of stayed away from the kind of 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 strong social commentary that the original series did i mean you you know know, the 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 outcast that's in a way imaginary that's a fantasy thing that's science fiction you know we can explore this you know concept of gender but we're going to use these made-up metaphors and you know concepts to this as we said this is a lot more realistic and this is more dealing you know this is dealing you know in a more a uh, 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 um, realistic way with how people actually hit up against these issues. Yes, exactly. Because I think that you know, and again, you know, if you're not interested in in, in our political beliefs, then you might want to skip this episode. But you know, it's you look at this episode, and I, I look at this, and I say, okay, here's an episode of, of Star Trek that is that is incredibly um, uh, meaningful. Now, you know, you look at this, and I and I look at this, and I say, uh, here's an episode of the show which posits that. Um, the the bulk of people there's no jobs you know the government is not working um, which is happening now uh, you know things are being cut back there are no benefits there there's putting them into camps essentially which you know I, I don't yeah. think would happen but at the same time we have a presidential candidate who's running on the Republican platform Donald Trump who wants to throw Muslims into concentration camps and let's also put um, it what's the difference between you know this sanctuary district and the projects you know what I mean yeah it, so, yeah so, you know it, it, the, the, it's an analog of no that absolutely and that and that's kind of you know there's all of this stuff going on there's all of these social problems that we actually have in the real world not the star trek world yeah i mean we could talk about this for hours i mean you know sort of how how young black men are criminalized and and you know all all this stuff right i mean this is this is kind of well understood and i think a lot of um you know i get aggravated with it because a lot of white people sort of go yeah but you know uh, you know mlk and it's like uh no actually that was not the you know I mean, in a lot of sense, and I think that it's interesting because if you look at the second part of this and you look at the whole riot thing and the um, uh, uh, the the uh, uh, hostages, and and there's that that great scene between Cisco and the older guard where he's saying, "Well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to say, oh, these guys got a bad break and blah yeah. blah blah?" And Cisco's like, "It would be a start." Yeah. And you know, in a similar way, you know, I think that's how how I feel certainly, and I think that's how a lot of people feel about you know the struggles that that you know black people, for example, in this, in, in America now are having, where they're saying, hey, you know what, like things are not great, um, and white people are like, yeah, but we don't want to hear about it. And I think that there's a there's a there's a mean. I mean, I don't want to get too far down a road of talking about America today, but I think it's probably <laughs> what we're going to do is there's just an undercurrent of of apathy and and and, and meanness in this country that I haven't experienced in a long time and, and say, i'm i'm worried for the future yeah i mean this this episode has a lot of i think it makes it very clear that fear is a very big because i think one of the most significant is when they're talking to the woman who originally processes them and yeah she's a very interesting you know not incidental that she is a black woman either i don't think no um 
Yeah, I mean, she's somebody who you can see the roots of the Federation in her, you know, and she's not the only person who, you know, if they had the power to, you know, work, you know, get organized and work towards something that, you know, could stop this, you know, she would. I think her, when she's talking about when she lets that person who, you know, that woman, you know, just kind of disappear into the sanctuary and she gets warned, and, you know, if she's going to be fired. This woman's fired. She and we don't know if she has a family or not, but she and anyone she cares about are going to be in a sanctuary. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, you know, and you can see the guard probably has a similar, you know, mindset. I mean, they're work, they're not working the highest jobs. They're working kind of crappy jo- civil service right, jobs. You know? Right. They're on a low rung. They're just one step above. And in the guard, I think you see a lot of where he's had to, he's had to change, you know, he's had to alter his mindset. So the people who are in the sanctuary deserve to be in the sanctuary. And that way he won't be in danger of it because he doesn't deserve, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, and there and is and a degree of there by the grace of God in this, you know, especially with, you know, Dax, you know, very much goes into that. You know, if she had, you know, if she had been, you know, if she had landed 10 feet over to the left, you know, she would be in the sanctuary right, right with them, you know. And well, I think that that's, that's what makes this episode, I think, so, so profound in a certain sense because, you know, what, what this is really, what this really boils down to at the end of the day is, is Star Trek's belief in, I think, the, the profound power of, of people coming together to decide yeah. that they want to make a better world. And that is beautiful. This I mean, is, yeah. you know, I think that that's what Cisco's whole thing is about, you know, just acknowledge that these people have a hard time. I think, you know, that's a start. That's a way to get into the conversation. That's a way to start to make things yeah. better. I mean, compare compare um, the, the sanctuary worker with Edith Keeler from The City on the Edge yeah. of Forever, for example. And, of course, you're looking at something which is... 90 or 100 years later in the Star Trek world. I mean, Edith Keeler was in the 30s, and this is in 2024. But, you know, Edith Keeler was someone who dreamed big. She was like, one day, this is going to be a wonderful thing, and blah, blah, blah. But she was putting her beliefs into action. She's working at the homeless shelter, the soup kitchen, I guess it was called, in the 60s. And, And now you have... Uh, uh, what is occurring now, which is that most people are just beaten down by life. And, you know, I think you compare and contrast sort of the ways in which, you know, it's hard to talk about because, because you know, so much about American history and so much about the, the American social progress is wrapped up in, 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 in uh, race as well. And so, I, you know, you kind of have to preface this by saying, yeah, the, the mass social justice movements of, you know, sort of the 20s and 30s and 40s, which, you know, led up to the creation of Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and, um, you know, strong workers' mm-hmm. rights and all of this stuff, um, were also primarily a way uh, uh, to keep white people in power, I think, in a certain way. Um Which doesn't mean that it wasn't a good thing, but it, you just kind of need to broaden it out. Um but then you look at it and you say, okay, well, here's something that's happening 90 years. Now you, now you look at what's happening nowadays and it's just everyone is beaten down. No one wants to, to, to really do anything. And, and the people that are at the bottom, the people that are sort of you know, struggling and, and, and striking and, and, and uh, you know, protesting for, for a $15 minimum wage, for example, yeah. you know, things like that are, are mostly you know, minorities. And so oh God, I had a guy come on my line yesterday and he was like, what do you think about the $15 minimum? wage well i think it's you know and i'm like i'm working yeah like i really like the idea i'd love to be able to make my rent easier you know right right you know and so i think it's it's one of those things where you look at it and you say 
the you know? the sanctuary worker and and the the security yeah. guard are examples of people that are just beaten down by life and just yeah. are are hanging on to what they have and they're 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 terrified um to to fall into a sanctuary district you know one of the th- yeah this is a society that is very much based on us and them and you know it's gee where can they get that idea <laughs> um one of the you know while the federation isn't always good at that um i think we see at least striving to be uh a group you know what i mean a community a collective a um you know again i think it's interesting that some of the you know some of the most striking villains the dominion the borg are collectives gone wrong um and the Federation is usually seen as the example of this is what people working together but still keeping their own individual identity and differences mm-hmm. and all of that thing. Um, but, yeah, I think it's very – it is very much a message that, you, you know, in Star Trek, that's, again, if the franchise has a theme, if there is, you know, one Earth theme of the franchise is that we can all eventually, you know, learn to communicate and, you know, we can all find some common ground um, – and I think it's interesting that this episode let the governor is really the you know, and we don't even see him, but the governor is the only person in this episode that is the cartoonishly evil villain. Everybody has a moment of sympathy. The you know, the police officer is crying, you know, the the detective, the yeah. you know, the sanctuary guards, you know, even the even the asshole one, you know, begins to, you know, calm down and realize where exactly, you know, he's going from. The um the guy with the hat, you know, the ghost, he's you know, well, crazy and evil, but he even gets dignity in this. Yeah, and I think I think to put this in 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 terms that that I understand it in, and, and perhaps you know, I'm not necessarily saying that that these two episodes is doing this, but in a sense, you know, this is the old struggle of the workers against the capital, and and so yeah. you know, I mean, and so in 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 a real way, you know, the security guards and the people that work in the sanctuary districts processing these people, and the people in the sanctuary districts, and even the people that have jobs outside of the sanctuary yeah. districts, like the police officer and and those types of people, you know, they don't have. You know they have they they sort of are are operating. You know I'm starting to sound like Karl Marx here, but <laughs> but I mean I am a socialist, so it makes sense uh, that you know that these people have more in common with each other than they do with the people that yeah. are actually controlling the capital, and so that's where that's coming from. I think. Well, one of the things is you know, and I'm again we're going back to a Foucauldian perspective, but you have power being not very non-decentralized you know again the governor is the only person who's having exact power in this and wielding it but everybody else is just kind of a part in a system you know again the right and the people who are working in the sanctuary and actually putting people in there they're just doing their job the that woman's manager who yelled at her and threatened to fire her that was because they will get fired if they you know something happens to them you know there's always somebody and just as the you know this is in a way a version of cardassia where everybody yeah. is you know the state is just regenerating itself and you know a lot of people are quite now to a very different effect um uh, well, yeah, because I mean, in, in, at the end of the day, you know, what you have in the current, you know, economic and social climate in, in the Western world, you know, certainly is, you know, a, a, a 35, 40 year old, uh, you know, belief and hangover of, of ideas from, you know, frankly, a Russian sociopath. I mean, you know, in a certain sense, I think you can trace, you know, this is a bit reductive because, of course, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But, but you know, you're looking at this episode coming at a time when, you know, uh, uh, sort of 
the abandonment of, you know, sort of the, the social Democrats sort of governance system in a lot of countries and sort of mm-hmm. looking at that and saying, OK, the ascendance of Reagan and the ascendance of uh, 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 trickle down economics and let's let's unshackle the the capital creators from from all these regulations and that everything will be fine because the market it will will take care of itself and it doesn't take care of itself i mean in a certain sense corporations are sociopathic i mean yeah. the only thing that they care about is money um and making more money and 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 workers rights and all of that stuff is only something that is is even necessary or or desirable only in as much as it makes you more money yeah so there's there's a certain sense where this episode coming in 1995 sort of in the in sort of at the beginning of this really i mean i think that there was still a sense that maybe this was working you know the the 90s was a time of economic prosperity in a certain well, way but if you look at it back now you say well it was a false one but anyway i mean this almost comes as you know a sad Cassandra kind of thing because there is a degree, you know, at the end Bashir's question, you know, Bashir questioned several times, like, how did things get this bad? You know, what happened? You know, he, he, he you know, and, you know, I, I think part of the irony in his statements is that there is no one thing that happened to cause this, you know, this right. is, you know, this is a clusterfuck of, you know, frankly, scarcity. This is the logical end point of that. Um, you and know, that's, the logical endpoint of capitalism, but and that's the thing, though, is that you know I don't even necessarily believe that that Reagan or Thatcher or any of these people, Greenspan, were actually evil. You know, I think that they maybe really did buy what they were what they were sold. But at the end of the day, it doesn't work, and I think that we have the evidence that it doesn't work. You know, at this point. if they were mistaken, they were disastrously mistaken. Um, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know. But- I think that, I still that think Reagan was a horrible human being, and you know, knowing what Alzheimer's does to you, I'm happy he got it. Um, I mean, I think that he just didn't know what the hell was going on for most of his presidency, frankly. Uh, yeah. Um, um, but, but but I think you know to go back to a, to a, maybe a more optimistic take on this is that I think I, that that if you get anything out of past tense parts one and two, it's really that you know the redemptive power of of the average person, average people joining together and saying, no, we want things to be better. Yeah, I think this episode does have a. It does have an element of warning, like all story, dystopian stories about the future have an element of warning, you know, which – and especially optimistic ones. Star Trek is optimistic where it says, well, this can change. Right. It isn't 2024 yet. Things aren't this bad. This train can still be stopped. Now in 2015, almost 2016, can the train be stopped? I don't know. I I don't know either. I mean, I think that's that's an open question at this point. You know, how how bad will things get before they start getting better? I, I mean, mean, I'd rather see Trump get a disruptor than the presidency. I know that will you know <laughs> would help. But well, I, I mean, you know, I think that you know we're talking a lot about about we're not talking a lot about the episode. I guess in a certain no, sense. no, but I mean, but, I, I I I mean, we can talk about the episode's plot if you want to talk about the episode's plot. Well, I do. But I, I do want to talk about know, some of the character stuff, but I but I think that you know. I look at this episode and I say, you know, one of the reasons that I really I really love Star Trek is because it does posit, you know, a positive socialist future that says the average person coming together, you know, can make things better, can decide to to um not assume the worst of each other. Yeah. And and to say everyone deserves dignity, everyone deserves a place to live, everyone deserves a meal, everyone deserves health care. You know, these are things that we can provide to everyone if we don't spend $4 trillion a year on the military. You know, it's... And 
that, I mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that no. that's, you know, I'm not optimistic about the future. I think that this century is going to go down in history as the century that ended humanity. Um, I mean, well, I'm sorry. If but it that's, ends humanity, how will it go down in history, Eric? Well, there'll still be history, but there'll be I mean, human civilization, I should say, or industrial human civilization. I mean, you know, a few weeks ago that the Paris Climate Accord was finally reached and everyone was patting themselves on the back about it. But I don't know. I mean, I just I think that things are already bad and I don't think they're going to get better. I mean, one of the things about Star Trek in general is that it doesn't really engage with climate change in any real real way because it wasn't necessarily something that was in the public consciousness in the 90s Star Trek. But but, you know, in a certain sense, capitalism is actually going to destroy human civilization. And if we don't do something to stop it, then human civilization will go away. Um, Maybe that's not a bad thing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm surprised you don't like Vonnegut, but that's a different story. Yeah. Because uh, that's like, if, if you want to, you know, if we want to collapse Vonnegut into an Earth theme, that's pretty much what that is, that, you know, I don't think he he doesn't really use the word capitalism, but, you know, it's, it, he talks about how humanity is greed and its own self-centeredness and self-shorted, which... So capitalism, I think, is another word for that. But yeah, um, C- capitalism is really good at getting people out of abject poverty. It's not really good at broad social justice. Mm. And I wish we would stop pretending that it was good at anything but that. I I, I don't know where we can go. With that. <laughs> I, 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 you know, you, I do want to say I, I want to say like we, right before we recorded this episode I said you know we're going to be in a bad mood after this is done because this is just a heavy one <laughs> well I, I, I well there, there's candy stick park in this episode did you notice that yeah the candy sticks are syringes no 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 when Dax is being taken off by the by the rich white guy to his tower of, of money um, and greed that there's a there's a, a a store that's called candy stick Park. it's a candy store it's a San Francisco joke it's funny um, yeah I think that uh, I think that that guy is a little too optimistic for the episode perhaps I think that you know it's one of those things you look at it and you say, okay, Dax is obviously taken, you know, taken by this guy and he's taken by Dax and why not? They're both attractive white people. Um, you know, and for, for I, frankly, I think he is more into her. She's frankly getting any help she can. You know? I, I think, but, I don't, I don't think that she's necessarily no. into him. I don't think that she would be averse. To Listen, either, she but... just almost got married a few weeks ago. She's, you know, she should not be, <laughs> she's not, a, she needs to focus on herself. She and, you know, uh, Kira just need to, you know, go out a couple of times, you know, and then she, you know, maybe she can, you know, start to date, but I, I, I don't think it's healthy quite yet. I, yeah, yeah I, I think that's probably true. <laughs> uh, I think that he, he has a turn of, turn of, uh, uh, face a little bit e- more easily than perhaps he would actually have. He seems to be throwing away his entire business empire because of reasons. Uh, you know, there's, there's parts of it that do feel a little too flabby, I think. You know, there are part, but it, it, that's typical Star Trek stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm not it, necessarily looking at this show as, uh, something that I need to see, like, you know, verisimilitude social commentary, necessarily. Yeah, there is a degree of allegory to this episode where, you know, him, you know, represents a general, you know, companies need to have more compassion for, you know, the people, you know, people and need to have more of a social, you know, that kind of a thing, you know, is the general point of that, even if we're not being, you know, realizing as that as a literal, you know, spending two days with someone who asks nicely, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, 
what's interesting about the episode is it doesn't paint i mean there is that cartoonish scene at the party where you know the rich people are sort of like oh those poor people blah you know they just kind of suck and they're whatever you know and and to, at a certain extent i think that that's true and that's not true i mean i remember seeing a picture of of you know asshole hedge fund bankers toasting uh, occupy wall street protesters with champagne from a balcony yeah but like, i mean that was cruel this is just ignorant you know they, they're they're right just, they have not even thought about they probably haven't even thought about it because frankly that's too terrifying of a thought but you know it's not like they're going out and being cruel to the poor people they just think of them you know they're just so sheltered i mean they come off as very childish and naive you know and i mean frankly they come across as like you know germans in 1942 yeah i mean you know it's like they didn't I mean they some of them knew what was going on certainly but i i think that for the most part it was just i don't want to know i yeah. you know i'm just going to ignore it um, and I think to a large degree, I mean, this is funny cause I, you know, th- this is not necessarily related to what we're talking about, but I, I saw this very interesting comparison between America today and sort of the way that Germany has reckoned with its third right concentration camp, like extermination, yeah. Holocaust, um, history. And, you know, in a certain real sense, um, you know, America has sort of, you know, white supremacy enforced and sort of um you know engaged with with violence and, and really defended with violence um all throughout its history um you know slavery for example is nothing but violence mm. against you know an entire group of people uh and this has been continuing on for for 400 years uh and and america has never really reckoned with that in the same way that germany had to reckon with their history in the third reich so mm. i don't know i mean i think that in this episode it's really clear that uh they're just starting to become ready to reckon with this. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's interesting because they do make a large point of kind of arguing that it's Cisco that kind of decides to, I don't know. It's interesting because you kind of get the sense in this episode that he's not necessarily putting things right, but maybe this is how things were the entire time. I I don't know. I, I I mean, mean, there's, there's a degree to which, um, I mean, I think, you know, they say Bell died in this riot. Well, it's possible that in the real original timeline, kind of what happened to Cisco, you know, he got shot, you know, was maybe unconscious for a minute, but then, you know, somebody just pretended he was dead and he, had been, you know, just disappeared into the war, you know. Well, I actually think it's ambiguous whether yeah. or not and it doesn't, Gabriel Bell was ever there. And I mean, it, it doesn't really because... matter. He's just, he, you know, it, it, is, I, it I, is important that somebody save the hostages and that the hostages, you know... All, all, you know, all of those people are going to have their minds changed and are going to tell their friends, you know, the people in the sanctuaries aren't, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, but I mean, Bell is a symbol of just the fact that people in the sanctuaries had dignity and did do the right thing and weren't, you know, it's very important. You know, the reason that the success of this riot is that these people are able to go onto the net and, you know, broadcast, you know, what happened to them. And I mean, we've seen... And I love the I love the fact that the future of computing is AOL channels, by the way. <laughs> it's a very 1995 look forward. Check your email, buddy. Uh, <laughs> it was really funny, by the way, to hear them talking about email on a Star Trek episode. Because, yeah, you yeah. Know, this is the beginning of when email, you know, was people knew what it was. So, you know, it's, it's, it's more... It's, it's, it's interesting seeing, you know the change between, you know, TNG and this in the real world, if if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And um, and again, the internet has destroyed the hope of anybody making a living at producing art. So yeah, there you go. There uh, you go. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's funny because the way I look at this, and I, I think it's an open question, I think it's something that Star Trek hasn't really done before, is, you know, I don't actually know if Gabriel Bell did the things that history says he did. You know, I mean, maybe Cisco was always there. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that... Are we, are we in, if we're in, you know, 12 Monkeys time travel where this is what always happened? Right, because, you know, Gabriel Gabriel Bell from... I don't actually think he ever says anything, does he? I mean, he appears... He, he has like a line or two, dies. but they're very, you know, just... I mean, he seems like a forthright, up, upstanding kind of guy. He helps them out. I mean, then he gets shot and everything goes to hell. But, you know... I mean, they don't even reveal that he's Bell until after he's shot. He doesn't really right. do anything too significant in the episode. He's just kind of a right. guy there. Right. And then I think that, you know, but that, that might make it too dark of an interpretation because that kind of implies that humanity did not push itself forward but it had to be someone from the federation come back in time and fix it himself i mean i don't know but you know here's the thing bell is the you know the focal point of this riot you know but he's not the one who started it he is you know i mean i mean the other guy the older guy the the web yeah web i mean he is as instrumental in all of this hell uh bc True. is as instrumental in all of this i mean this was again bell is the focal point of the riot he's what you know gives the most sympathy toward the outside world but this is the collective action of of, of hundreds and hundreds of people yes yeah i i think so if Cisco is putting this forward, then then it has to have. I mean, he can light the spark, but the fire has to catch. Yes, I mean, if, if 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 the if the kindling is wet, the fire is not going to. I don't know this, this analogy got but away from I, me, but you know what I mean. You know, and, and they also make it clear in the episode that that's you know the Bell riot was what started other social reforms. You know, and that you know this is the beginning, really. This is you know not the. And, uh, you know, th- th- the next day, you know, things are not all right for Earth. It takes a decade or two afterwards. But, you know. Right. Um, and, and, of I course, think- Cisco can afford to look in the long run because, frankly, he's living in the long run. True. But I also think that this episode is saying that perhaps the present-day Federation needs to constantly be on guard as well. Well, that's it. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, one of the— points of this is that this is showing kind of what the stakes are i mean we we if the federation isn't around you know you know if we assume that the federation is indeed treating its people well and earth is a paradise and every and, you know and the federation is trying well sure without it you know things are going to be bad i mean we saw what happened when you know without the federation you know the Cardassians will take over and things will be bad the dominion will take over and things will be bad and the you know, we've talked a lot about how Kira, you know, initially began to think that the Federation was the best hope just because they were the ones that were going to be, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe in general, I think if the Federation isn't perfect, it's the best hope at least, you know, and things will but be I the think... best, you know, perfection is a fallacy, but we can improve. Yeah, and I actually think that that's one of the reasons why Deep Space Nine is one of my favorite, was my favorite Star Trek show because – I think it's important that the Federation is not perfect. You know, I think it's important that they're always kind of having to make sure that things are progressing forward and they're not falling back on their, their ideals and that they recognize that, that it takes constant work and vigilance to, to keep something like this going. Well, because it makes the Federation not the ultimate authority, which is good because it doesn't, you know, one of the things we said, you know, about the original series is, you know, whatever Kirk's decision is right, that's God's decision, and that's right, and morality follows Kirk. Um, yes. Fa- and <clears throat> Next Generation, one of the points that they made several times was that Picard makes mistakes, and he's willing to 
accept his mistakes, own up to them, make amends for them, and learn from them. And that's, you know... But but interestingly enough, I think that if you look at the you know the initial conception of the next generation and the way yeah. that Gene Roddenberry, you know, bought his own hype and and decided that he was he was a profound you know prophet of of human you know experience and the the future progress of humanity and everyone was going to be perfect and evolved yeah. and they were never going to fight and all this kind of stuff and. I think that that's really actually kind of boring. I think that I was going to say you would have a series of, you know, the Federation going to planets and lecturing them and fixing their problems. And that would be that. And at that point, in so the, you'd have the original series. Yeah, I was going to say, and at that <laughs> point, you know, yeah, but I mean, e- even in the original series allowed to have arguments and, you know, Kirk was allowed to make mistakes too. I mean, remember, uh, which a lot of that came from Gene Alcoon and not Gene Roddenberry, but yeah, again, you know um, I mean? but here you have, you know, Roddenberry thinking that, you know, wherever, whatever he says is morality, you know, and that leads to a weakness. And it's when the series, you know, when Star Trek begins to question itself, are we doing the right thing? You know, is this the best way? Have we made a mistake? Or, you know, did we leave somebody out? You know, when Star Trek begins to question that, it becomes stronger and it begins to be, frankly, more inclusive and better. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think that, that you know, again, if, if, you think that Star Trek is important, and I, I think that that I do at least. I don't know if you do at this point, but I think that this is. I a mean, really... I devote a few hours every week to it, so yeah. Well, there you go. Um, I, I think that it's it's an important step forward for for Deep Space Nine in a certain sense, just because it is so off brand for the yeah. show. You know, it is kind of saying here's how we kind of interpret. Uh, the the Federation, how it developed Starfleet, all of these things, and kind of saying, you know, we're going to see Earth later on in the show. I mean, we've never... This is actually, I think, the first episode of the show that they've gone to Earth. And uh, we only yeah. saw Earth, I think, once or twice before. Uh, we've seen uh, in 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 TNG. I know they've got. We we've mostly seen it in like Starfleet institutions, right? Like I think I in think, a few of the movies, yes, but they were in you know, or in that episode with Wesley. You know, they're in the academy. That kind right. of stuff. I think the only sort of twenty fourth century civilian life that we've kind of seen so far, at least on Earth, is in Home from the fourth season of TNG, right? Uh, or family, I mean, not home. Um, that's actually an Enterprise episode. Yeah, uh, and the point of that episode was, you know, part of the point of that episode is that, you know, they live a very pastoral and kind of, you know, old-fashioned lifestyle, traditional lifestyle. You know, and I think, you know, not not to change the subject again, but I think that to go back even to the language that the episode is using about the residents of the sanctuary, you know, and I think that, that it's really driven by by what the non-sanctuary district residents see them as. Yeah. You know, they call the people that want jobs gimmies, like they want a handout. Yeah. You know, they call sort of the people that, I, I don't know who they are. I think that they're maybe not necessarily criminals, but they're just sort of on the fringes of society. They call them ghosts because they don't want to see them. And then, you know, they're calling the people that obviously have some mental difficulties, the dims. And I yeah, think I mean, that- ghosts, I think are people who are just, you know, obviously BC who we see, he has some mental instability. And I mean, one of the points that Bashir makes is that, you know, at this point in their, you know, at this point in history, you know, they were, able to treat that and i mean hell even in our history you know there is help that he could be given and we even see him yeah through, we see him throughout the episode as cisco is you know talking to him working with him you know he starts to be a little better you get a glimpse of you know what this man would be like if he had been through proper therapy for all of this time you know? right right um but the fact of the matter is i think the 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 
the the interesting thing about the fact that the sanctuary residents are using the language of their oppressors, yeah, you know, to call and they're buying into it is just the way, that and the, they're recategorizing themselves based on it. Yeah, I mean, they're that I mean that is the way that the ruling class sort of you know yeah. brainwashes the working class into thinking that they are actually the problem. The gimmies think that the ghosts are you know lawless and you know violent thugs. The ghosts think that the gimmies have bought into the system and are you know sellouts in a way and. You know, the dims, everybody just kind of stays away from them. Yeah, and I think that that's really sad. I mean, you yeah. know, that's one of the things. And I like I like Bashir a lot in this episode. And I think that this is really the season where Bashir starts to come into his own. Yeah. Because it's an interesting pairing He's, as well. You know, that's it. His, you know, in the initial uh, views we saw uh, uh, of Bashir, you know, he was young. He was very naive. But... And at the end, you know, his questions of how did we get this bad, you know, how did this happen, they are almost a child's question, you know. I, you know, it's like a little kid saying, well, why are there poor people, you know, and there really is no answer for that. But, you know, coming from him, he is still young enough to where he can ask that question, and I think this episode makes it clear that that's a very necessary question to ask no matter what. No, absolutely, because I think that, you know, that's even more important than maybe, you know, I realized before is that, you know, in a sense, Bashir not knowing the history of how the Federation came to be is is a bad thing because it means that the, the, the citizens of the Federation are starting to forget how bad things can get. Well, and, that's and, what's happening in the demilitarized zone. The people in the Federation are forgetting how bad things can get, and so they're figuring, well, they're probably fine. You know, they'd let us know if they needed problems. We'd be happy to help them. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, it, 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 again, it's it's this series, you know, we, we, we talk, we've talked a lot. Does Star Trek believe in evil or not? And you said DS9 does. Well, I think it's, Maybe it believes that ignorance leads to evil acts happening. Yeah. It definitely believes in evil acts and evil systems and all of that, if not evil people. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. This this episode makes it seem like most problems come from just ignorance and apathy. And I think that's a lot more. And people just wanting theirs. And, you know, I got mine and it doesn't matter. And... I mean, again, we talk about realistic. That's much more realistic than, well, I'm a genetically modified super soldier who wants to take over the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that you're, you're, that's really coming down to the fact that, you know, these are just two different, different eras of television. Yeah. You know? I mean, eras of history, ever, eras of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, just a fantastic two parter. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, in terms of at least social commentary episodes of Star Trek, I, I don't think that they get better than this. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the strongest, you know, DS9 episodes. This would probably make a top 20, you know, of the franchise for me. And I'm, and I'm glad that they, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big statement from you. And I, I you know, and I'm also glad like that they, one. yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I'm glad that they gave it the room to breathe and decided yes. to make it a two parter because I, I think that you could see a version of this story told in one episode that, that would not be as expansive, you know, yeah. would not really give um, the, the the characters a chance to breathe and grow. But we need to see all of these things. I mean, this could have been a third part even, you know, the, the yeah. um, we need to see what the dims live like and we need to see, you know, what, you know, the richest people live like and we need to see, you know, how, f- frankly, a pretty woman is going to be treated than a black man, you know, yeah. <laughs> we need to, and it shows us everything that we need to know. We get a very good, you know, Star Trek always, like all science fiction, does the thing where, you know, one village stands for the entire world, you know, 
And but th- they do a very good job of that in this episode. You know, they happen to be in a district that's very you know happens to be a focal point of this. But right. you know, this is the same thing that's going on in any. I mean, we see that. They mentioned at the end other other sanctuaries are rioting too now. You know, yeah. this is obviously going to set off a much larger you know movement. And, but you know, anything that's happening in this sanctuary is happening in all over the country. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, at the end of the day, if the actual sort of um, you know plot of how they get back and stuff is sort of treated yeah. off to the side, I think that that's I probably mean, the right decision because Kira and the adventures of Kira and O'Brien doing whatever they're doing it's, are it's, fine. It's a bunch of you know comedic little cutaways. Like it makes no sense. Kira is the least. <laughs> Kira is the worst person to go on this mission. Number one because she's obviously you know they have the point when they say to uh, you know about Dax like oh they'll find you know if she gets hurt you know. They'll find out in five minutes that she's not human, you know? I mean, Kira will have the same issue, you know? She not only does... I mean, she physically looks very different to where she has to wear this bandage. And, you know, even as, you know, Cisco is the only character who seems to really have studied his history. Yeah. But, you know, Kira doesn't know enough to even fake it, you know what I mean? Like, she's, you know, talking about, you know... And so she's going to be really a fish out of water. Yeah. That said... You know, it was nice she had something to do. And again, the 60s bit was funny. You know, that was... Yeah, it was all... That, that's all it was there for. Exactly. It's just... I think it's a way to let the episode breathe a little bit. And I think it's a good, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good decision. It's literal comic relief because, again, everything else that's happening is rough. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just, I mean, fantastic. I think the two-parter is great. This is a five-shanctuary episode. Oh, my God. You broke out the rating. I broke out the rating system for this one. <sighs> All right, well, if you have any thoughts about uh, Past Tense Parts 1 and 2 that you would like to share with us, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Don't forget that we now have a Patreon, so if you would like to support the show by throwing us a few bucks and getting some cool perks, uh, please go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow and check that out. And as always, and thank our, you for people who have donated already. We love yes, you. Yes, thank you very much for that. We, we do need appreciate to thank it. Them. Be polite, Eric. All right, I'm, I'm you're just them. like you know, like I'm gonna put this money on the horses, and we're gonna triple That's right. our money. And you didn't actually give it to the horses; you gave it to your dog, and he just fell asleep on it. So, I mean, we didn't, you know, lose any money, but we didn't make any money. Thank you to our patrons. We appreciate you very much. And as always, our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Show. And also, please leave us an iTunes review like Matthew did. Hi, Matthew. Who says, this is a fun podcast. It's taken very seriously, maybe sometimes too seriously. Well, okay. But I appreciate the time and effort from both hosts. They often bring up issues I wouldn't thought of, given our obvious political differences. Well, I have a feeling he hates us now. You might hate us, Matthew. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm sorry you're... I said that mean thing about Reagan. But you know, to be fair, he was happy to see a lot of gay men dying of AIDS. So you know, I yeah. I... So fuck him. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you for that comment, Matthew. Thank you for that review. We really do appreciate it, and uh, we hope you uh, continue to like the show. All right. Well, next week we are actually halfway through the season. Oh wow, this is like fly again. Season compared to season two. Oh my god, that lasted forever. Yeah, I we think act... we're still watching season two. <laughs> Uh, we are going to be talking about life support and heart of stone. Da, 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 the heart stone. No, that's not right. Then I found out I was all alone. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you then. <laughs>